Section 1 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book 6, Chapter 7 torture part one to the modern mind the judicial use of torture as a means of ascertaining truth is so repellent and illogical that we are apt to forget that it has from the most ancient times been practiced by nearly all civilized nations with us the device of the jury has relieved the judge of the responsibility resting upon him in other systems of jurisprudence that responsibility had to be met a decision had to be reached even in the most doubtful cases and where evidence was defective and conflicting the use of torture as an expedient to obtain a confession or by its endurance to indicate innocence has seemed until modern times after the disuse of compurgation and the judgments of god to be the only means of relieving the judicial conscience it was admitted to be dangerous and fallacious to be employed only with circumspection but there was nothing to take its place that it should be used by the inquisition was a matter of course for the crime of heresy was often one peculiarly difficult to prove confession was sought in all cases and from the middle of the thirteenth century the habitual employment of torture by the holy office had been the most efficient factor in spreading its use throughout christendom at the expense of the obsolescent barbarian customs it is true that spain was loath to admit the innovation in castile which rejected the inquisition alfonso x notwithstanding his admiration of the roman law required that confession must be voluntary and insisted that if obtained by torture it must subsequently be freely ratified without threats or pressure in the kingdoms of aragon which admitted the inquisition torture remained illegal and it was only by the positive commands of clement v that it was employed in thirteen eleven on the templars by the time that the spanish inquisition was organized however torture in castile was in daily use by the criminal courts and there could be no question as to the propriety of its employment by the holy office in Araga, pena tells us that although it was forbidden in secular jurisprudence it was freely permitted in matters of faith yet its use was jealously watched for when the aid of torture was sought in the case of a prisoner accused of the murder of a familiar the cortes of sixteen forty six complained of it as an unprecedented innovation which was only prevented by the active intervention of the diputados and viceroy valencia had been less rigid in excluding torture from its courts but so limited its use that in sixteen eighty four the tribunal reported that in cases of unnatural crime of which it had cognizance subject to the condition of trial by secular process it no longer used torture because the methods permitted by the fueros were so light that the accused felt no fear of them and they were useless in extracting confession 
we shall see that occasionally tribunals abuse the use of torture but the popular impression that the inquisitorial torture chamber was the scene of exceptional refinement and cruelty of specially ingenious modes of inflicting agony and of peculiar persistence in extorting confessions is an error due to sensational writers who have exploited credulity the system was evil in conception and in execution but the spanish inquisition at least was not responsible for its introduction and as a rule was less cruel than the secular courts in its application and confined itself more strictly to a few well-known methods in fact we may reasonably assume that its use of torture was less frequent for its scientific system of breaking down resistance in its long-drawn-out procedure was more effective than the ruder and speedier practice of the secular courts where we are told by archbishop pedro de castro of granada it was notorious that no one confessed except when overcome by torture in this respect the comparison between the spanish and the roman inquisition is also eminently in favor of the former we shall have occasion presently to see the limitations which it placed on the use of torture while in rome it was the rule that all who confessed were or were convicted in matters of faith were tortured for the further discovery of the truth and the revelation of accomplices in addition to this there were many classes of cases in which torture was employed by rome to extort confession and in which it was forbidden in spain those involving mere presumption of heresy such as solicitation sorcery blasphemy etc moreover in rome the in arbitrio judicum applied not only to the kind and the duration of the torture but also to its repetition spanish writers on practice therefore were justified in claiming for their own tribunals a sparing use of torture unknown in italy while as regards its severity the frequency with which in the trials we find that the accused overcame the torture would indicate that habitually it was not carried to extremity as it so frequently was in the secular courts no torture chamber in the inquisition possessed the resources of the corregidor who labored for three hours in sixteen twelve to obtain from diego duke of estrada confessions of a homicide the water torture the manquerda the potro hot irons for the feet hot bricks for the stomach and buttocks garrotillos known as bone-breakers the trampa to tear the legs and the bostezo to distend the mouth and all this was an everyday matter of criminal justice footnote estrada relates that after the torture he paid the executioner two hundred ducats to preserve him from being crippled the process was very painful consisting of stretching the limbs and rubbing with an ointment composed of equal parts of fat of man snake bear lion viper and frog melted over a slow fire with oil of sweet almonds of paracon chamomile rosado and balsam of the east the treatment was successful End footnote. the indirect torture of especially harsh imprisonment was not unknown to the inquisition and was occasionally employed for the purpose of breaking down obstinacy it was not as in the medieval inquisition prescribed as an ordinary resource but it was at the discretion of the tribunal and could at any time be brought into play 
as in the case of a pertinacious heretic in 1512 who was consigned to the most noisome part of the prison and afflicted in various ways in hope of enlightening his understanding in the later period of leisurely action protracted imprisonment was frequently resorted to in the hope of inducing repentance and conversion when wearing anxiety and despair weakened the will as effectually as the sharper agonies of the pulley and rack there was also the ingenious device frequently effective by which the fiscal concluded his formal accusation with a demand that if necessary the accused should be tortured until he confessed this was unknown in the earlier period but the instructions of fifteen sixty one recommended it giving as a reason its good results and also that torture requires a demand from the prosecutor and a notification to the defendant who is unprepared for it at this stage of the trial after this it became the universal custom in all cases admitting of torture that the profound impression produced on the unfortunate prisoner can be readily conceived torture itself however was regarded as too serious to be left to the arbitrary temper of a baffled or angry inquisitor and was preceded by formalities designed to prevent its abuse it was the last resort when the result of the trial left doubts to be satisfied after the prosecution and defense had closed and the consulta de fe had assembled to consider the sentence if the evidence was too weak for condemnation while the innocence of the accused was not clear it could adopt a vote to torture and postpone the decision to await the outcome even in the ferocity of the early period this deliberateness was frequently observed although in the reckless haste of procedure it was often omitted thus in the case of diego garcia a priest accused of having said twenty years before when a boy that the sacrament was bred the consulta held two meetings january eighteenth and nineteenth fourteen ninety and finally voted torture there was no haste however and it was not until february eleventh that garcia was exposed to the very moderate water torture of about a quart of water no confession was obtained and he was untied with the protest that he had not been sufficiently tortured but it was not repeated and on february twenty sixth he was acquitted and restored to his fame and honor though with the curiously perverse inquisitorial logic he was made to abjure de vehemente and forbidden to celebrate mass for six months the vote of the consulta however was not universal and in fifteen eighteen the suprema ordered it to be always observed but a clause in the instructions of fifteen sixty one reminding inquisitors that they must not inflict torture until after hearing the defense show how difficult it was to restrain their arbitrary action even in the early eighteenth century in reviewing a summary of cases of valencia from seventeen o five to seventeen twenty six the suprema rebuked the tribunal for torturing sebastian antonio rodriguez without previous consultation but at this period the consulta de fe was becoming obsolete and everything was centering in the suprema the vote of the consulta was still only preliminary after it the accused was brought into the audience chamber where all the inquisitors 
and the Episcopal Ordinary were required to be present. He was notified of the decision of the consulta. If he was diminuto, the points in which his confession had failed to satisfy the evidence were pointed out. If a negativo, no explanations were necessary. If it was on intention or in caput alienum, he was made to understand it. He was abjured in the name of God and the Blessed Virgin to confess fully without false evidence as to himself or others, and if this failed to move him, a formal sentence of torture was signed by all the judges and read to him. It recited that in view of the suspicions arising against him from the evidence, they condemned him to be tortured for such length of time as they should see fit, in order that he might tell the truth of what had been testified against him, protesting that, if in the torture he should die or suffer effusion of blood or mutilation, it should not be attributed to them, but to him for not telling the truth. If the torture was to discover accomplices, care was taken to make no allusion to him and to give him no chance of clearing himself, for he was assumed to be already convicted. Even this sentence was not necessarily a finality, for if the accused offered a new defense, it had to be considered and acted upon before proceeding further. Moreover, he had theoretically a right to appeal to the Inquisitor-General from, as from all other interlocutory sentences. This right varied at different times. A ruling by the Suprema in 1538 appears to indicate that it was granted as a matter of right, but the instructions of 1561 tell inquisitors that, if they feel scruple, they should grant it, but if satisfied that the sentence is justified, they should refuse the appeal as frivolous and dilatory. Still, the right to ask it was so fully recognized that, if the accused was not twenty-five years of age, and thus a minor, his curador or guardian was required to be present in order to interject an appeal if he saw fit, and I have met with an instance of this in the case of Angela Perez, a Morisco slave, before the Toledo Tribunal in 1575, where it was, as usual, unsuccessful, for the Suprema confirmed the sentence. Tribunals seem not infrequently to have allowed appeals, but with the growing centralization in the Suprema, they became superfluous, and a formula drawn up in 1690 directs that no attention be paid to them. When the indications of guilt were too slender to justify torture, the consulta de fe sometimes voted to threaten torture. Then the sentence was formally drawn up and read to the accused. He was taken to the torture chamber, stripped and perhaps tied in the potro or escalera, without proceeding further. A curious case of this was that of Leonor Perez, who at the age of seventy was sentenced, May third, sixteen thirty four, in Valladolid, to be placed in conspecto tormentorum. When stripped on May tenth, the executioner reported marks of previous torture. The proceedings were suspended, and on May thirteenth, she admitted that twenty years before she had been tortured in Coimbra. On June fourteenth, the sentence was again executed. But before being stripped, she confessed to some Jewish beliefs and then fainted. A postponement was necessary, and two days later, she revoked her confession. 
the case dragged on and it was not until august first sixteen thirty seven that she was condemned to abjure de vehemente to six years of exile a fine of two hundred ducats and to be paraded in vergüenza but we still hear of her as in prison early in sixteen thirty nine it required strong nerves to endure this threat of torture with its terrifying formalities and abjurations and it was frequently effective. End of section one.